Welcome to Didn't See It Coming, the podcast about brands that learn from the past, look to the future, and profit today. I'm your host, Mark Stoiber. Hey, it's Mark here. Welcome back to Didn't See It Coming. Now, I grew up in a world of advertising and marketing and communications that is so ancient, uh, it was before the time of the internet. And back in the bad old days, for those of you who don't want to read the history books, the sort of research that we had was essentially mall intercepts by students who would check off boxes, which was fairly horrible, and uh, focus groups, which were twice as horrible. So. I came up as a creative and a a creative director and a writer in this world and what frustrated me so much was that the research that we were given always pointed towards the most mundane, boring solutions and completely snuffed out creativity. It seemed like creativity and research were always at odds. And as my career progressed, I saw this happening again and again, where on the one hand, you would swing towards the science when there was a new innovation and research that came out. And then when everybody had it and it was ubiquitous, it would swing back towards the art where we would say, hey, you know what? There's a lot of room for intuition and trying new things. Fast forward now to the dawn of the internet. What happened first? All these brands had scads of dough, brands like E-Trade, and they started to go nuts and they just made crazy, crazy ads. And you could tell from the ads that they were based 100% on intuition and actually not too much on common sense. And a lot of these companies imploded and you saw that the intuition wasn't paying off. Fast forward to the next sort of sector of of digital where you start to see that we can measure everything right down to the color of the button on the buy now switch on, on Amazon. Should it be light orange or dark orange? You can A, B test everything. And what I'm seeing is this swing back towards what uh, we call performance marketing, which is all about measuring everything and ooching up the sales numbers by testing and retesting and optimizing and optimizing. Now, to me, this is wonderful. It's a brave new world. However, what I believe is when the pendulum swings so far towards science that it's overdue that it swing back towards art intuition. So I'm always on the lookout for people who have opinions on this. And this is how I ran into a gentleman named Kevin Indig. And Kevin works for a company called G2. And I recall the first I saw of him was on LinkedIn. And he posted a little blurb versus intuition uh, on intuition versus testing. And I knew I had to know more about this. So I, I dialed up Kevin and he shared some of the research that he had on this topic. And I thought it was fascinating and I want to share it with you. So if you're interested on art versus science and communication, this is going to be an awesome interview for you. Kevin, is that about right? It sounds perfect. And by the way, thanks for having me. It's a treat to be on. Really? Well, you, let's, see, well let's see how you feel after we're done. <laughs> I have a hunch. <laughs> so talk to me uh talk to me a little bit about your fascination testing versus intuition where did this all come from you know you're um you're not nearly as old as me so you didn't come up in the the madman age where you know we were just shooting from the hip and also you didn't have the stodgy old researchers telling us to focus group everything that's probably just a fond memory for you but uh tell me about your background and how this came up yeah, I'm a child of the late 80s, but uh, I grew up with 
the TV show Mad Men and a fascination for it, um, clearly. That being said, I'm a very data-driven person uh, in, in, in my personal life and in my work life. Um, and uh, grew up in this in this age where you were able to measure so much more than before. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason or kind of the, the, the uh, background for why I settled on intuition versus testing is basically a 10-year journey in marketing. And uh, in the beginning of that journey, I was a huge proponent of being able to test and measure everything and thought that you just need enough data and the right data and then the answer will magically pop up. Now, 10 years later, I got a bit smarter and realized that not everything is as measurable as we'd like it to be. Mm-hmm. We can measure a lot more. We have great insights, but it is not the, the perfect answer is not somewhere hidden in the data all the time. And that might be different for huge companies with tons of traffic and tons of data like a Facebook or a Google, um, but that is not always the case for smaller companies and all the startups out there. So what you're left with is, in a lot of cases, intuition. That intuition is not the sheer gut feeling that everybody of us has. I'm talking about a trained gut, and I'm not talking about eating a lot of food. I'm talking about you know, experience, failure, success, uh, trial and error, all these kind of things that really train your intuition and kind of give you this subconscious understanding and empathy that allows you to make good decisions. Mm -hmm. So now you're working with a company called G2 and G2 uh, is a company that bundles in some case, but also sells just uh, technology to consumers like myself. Uh, and you said that this, uh, this wasn't so much something that you were using at G2, but you had experience with in the past where, you know, you, you were testing everything and then you just ran up against the walls of testing. Talk a little bit about that. Yes, of course. So G2, we want to be the place where you go for software. We're a B2B software marketplace um, and we're a very fast growing startup. And so we do run some experiments, but not as much as I have done in my previous company, which is Atlassian. Atlassian, makers of uh, Jira and Confluence. I think it's currently valued at $40 billion. It's one of the biggest software companies out there in the world. And at Atlassian, um, we had a portfolio of strong brands with, a, with varying brand strength. Mm-hmm. So our flagship product is and was Jira. And then we bought a new product back at the time when I was there called Trello. Uh, Both of them very known, but both of them have a varying degree of brand strength. And the reason that I brought this up is actually a study from 2014. So this was a study that was conducted by eBay in cooperation with a very famous researcher from Stanford. It's called Consumer Heterogeneity and Paid Search Effectiveness, a Large-Scale Field Experiment. And it's very famous and popular in the marketing and especially performance marketing world. Because what it, do, what it did is it basically looked at what happens when you turn off the ads on your own brand on Google and other search engines, right? This has been a large pain point for lots of companies, especially mm-hmm. eBay. And I think there's also a famous experiment from uh, Expedia where they ask themselves, hey, why do I have to pay money to bid on my own brand? So they set out to conduct a, a very large scale experiment And what they did is they looked at what happened when they turned off their brand ads on Google and MSN search. Back then, MSN search was Mm -hmm. was still a thing. 
And so what happened is they turned this off and the clicks on the first organic result for their brands went up. And then when they turned brand search back on, the reverse happened. And this was a big, big indicator, not evidence, but indicator for that they didn't have to actually bid on their brand because their organic results would catch that traffic. However, it's important to, to understand that this worked for eBay, one of the largest brands out there, right? If you're a small startup or agency or whatever, this will probably not work for you. And that's one of the biggest problems that I have is that people are using these big studies to make a case as if it was universally true for everyone. I did the same mistake early on in my career, but I learned that this is not the case. And that's the message that I want to get out. Now, this is something we talked about before. If you were uh, testing a new medicine or a new protocol for surgery, uh, you wouldn't take one example from Stanford and say, well, there you go. Uh, that's why we should feed you this new medicine for cancer because at Stanford they did it. You would say we needed a few hundred different surgeries, uh, not just one at Stanford. But I think there's something about marketers. Um, we, we drink our own bathwater. We seem to believe that when something new comes out, we all got to jump on that because that's going to make us taller, richer, sexier. <laughs> and and then we then we jump on to the next thing. I think that's what we are by nature. And and that, you know you you started talking about that that we are so quick to jump onto something new. It's all testing. No, it's no testing. And that's why we look so ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> look, I'm a big proponent of the scientific method. I truly mm -hmm. believe in that. And with it comes a certain humbleness. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't take these large scale experiments and tests seriously. We absolutely should, but we need to understand how to put them into context. And, you know, as marketers, and I'm at the forefront of this, we have to, or we're, we have a big incentive to jump on the new sexy thing because competition is high and it's getting, it's getting, you know, stronger and stronger. Mm -hmm. So we have to find ways to stand out. And that's where the new shiny thing comes from. And there's a, there's actually a higher or faster decay of marketing methods, which is very interesting to, uh, to look at. But I think the gist here is that we cannot quantify everything. There are situations when we have to um, trust our gut feeling or our intuition. And that is that can be based on rationale, but there is, there's not always a case where we can quantify things. And to me, it comes back to innovating versus optimizing. Mm -hmm. Both has to be done. There has to be a balance. There's a yin and yang, right? Um, especially when you grow a company. Um, you have to optimize things, but you also have to innovate. And optimizing is when your tests are absolutely valid as long as they're conducted in a, in, a, you know, in a proper way, which I'm happy to talk about what that looks mm -hmm. like. But you also have to innovate. And when you innovate, you have to try things that could fail. And as Jeff Bezos from Amazon said, said if your outcome is perfectly predictable, you are not innovating and you're not experimenting, right? You have to leave that margin forever. You know, it's interesting because uh, I, I forget what book I was reading just a short time ago. Um, but uh, the, the gist of it was that optimization and testing works best if you have an established product and an established market and you can just take this brand of chewing gum and give it a new flavor knowing that it's already selling it this much. Can you ooch it up that much? But if you're starting from zero with a complete chewing gum that you stick in your ear, uh, you don't have any benchmarks to test against. And a lot of times you just have to go on your intuition. That is absolutely right. And see, that's the, that's the point that drives me nuts and that, that, that 
that kind of pulled me into this whole thing. Um, a lot of that research that I sent over to you was actually the foundation for an article that I've been writing for a long time, which I originally wanted to title, Get Off Your High Experimentation Horse. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, it's hard and complicated to run a proper experiment. It's not, it's not just like you compare two things, mm -hmm. especially in, in, in uh, online marketing. Like an actual experiment takes ton of traffic, takes probably a statistician, a statistician to get right, uh, and some time and, and all that kind of stuff. Not everybody can do it. So um, to think that you can test everything is a bit, um, it's a bit far-fetched sometimes. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, you feel, you, you understand how emotional I get about these things. You well, know? It's, 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 a bit... it's a cool subject. You know what? Because yeah. there's a lot of beer that's been spilt about this topic, <laughs> uh, uh, not least of which by me. Uh, but now this brings me to um, Steve Jobs. We talked about Steve Jobs a little bit and, and optimization versus true innovation. You know, and I, I see Apple post Steve Jobs and pre Steve Jobs. And uh, if I'm an Apple fan, but what I noticed after Steve Jobs is that they started, uh, they started going to optimization. You know, it wasn't a new thing. They weren't disrupting education anymore. They were changing the number of uh, cameras on the iPhone. <laughs> and, and to me, I just, I just got really sad because I said, well, that's, it, that's that. And oftentimes it comes down to a personality, uh, an Elon Musk or a Steve Jobs, which is, of course, as rare as a unicorn. Um, so do you think that uh, a lot of us are doomed to optimization? And if that's possible, I mean, how can we really invent new stuff? We need, we need, the, we need the intuitive people. And how do we encourage that? That's if everybody says point, you can't Mark. do that, you, you got to test it, can't do that, got to test it. You think yeah, that's for intuitive people? Yes, I, that's such a great point, Mark. Uh, I, don't, I don't only think there's room for intuitive people. I think that as a whole, we're not doing a good enough job in providing the space that these intuitive people need. Mm -hmm. And not everybody is like that. As you mentioned, an Elon Musk, uh, a Jeff Bezos, a, a Steve Jobs, those are unicorns, but they exist. And to me, they are the highest class of customer empathy that you can actually reach out there. Mm -hmm. And I've met some of those people. They just have this intuitive feeling for what people want. And it's so strong that they know better what people want than the people themselves. Mm -hmm. However, to the credit of Apple, luckily they did not try to just pull another Steve Jobs out of nowhere, right? Instead, they're optimizing the great position that they're in. And I think there is a fair case to be made out of that. Um, however, into, uh, uh, sorry, innovation takes a lot. It doesn't only take um, the customer empathy and the understanding of what people want. It also takes the space to be able to fail. I mm -hmm. think that's something that Steve Jobs inherently had and that Elon Musk has. And look at the big bets that these people have taken. Oh, yeah. I mean... Justin Elon Musk with everything from Tesla to SpaceX. I mean, this is borderline well, from crazy. To, from PayPal to uh, the Tesla. I mean, the great story about Elon Musk where he was down to his last million, which is, you know, I've had that situation many times. Uh, <laughs> but he was, he was down to his last million. And he said, if I pay my staff now, I'm broke. We got it. We got it. We got to sell some cars. And you're going, holy, you know, if that would have been me and I would have been so lucky, which I would never be to, or smart to create a PayPal, I would just go, I'm going to run away now and just leave well enough alone. But he took the bet because he's, he's, he's wired for that. I, I want to I move on. I want to move on to practical knowledge because um, I, I bet a lot of our listeners are sitting there going, all right, that's great. You told me to go with my gut unless you don't go with my gut optimization versus innovation. 
you and I both believe that there is a happy medium, but do your testing properly. And I know there's a lot of smoke and mirrors out there. If you do this, then you're going to be 100%. If you do that, you're going to be 100%. Give me some practical advice because I went to the, you know, the Evan Miller uh, story, how not to run an A-B test. That was one of the stories that you sent over. And the conclusion was that research isn't bad. It's just that a lot of people, what we talked about, the hospital uh, or, or the, the medical treatment, a lot of people get the results they want to see and then they stop and they say, this is it. And then they run right into a brick wall. So can you give me a few tips if I've got a startup brand and I want to make sure that I'm doing the right thing, I want to do good customer discovery and test stuff to make sure I'm releasing the thing before I spend my dough. Where do I go? What do I do? How do I start? Yeah, great question. So it comes down to humbleness. If there's one thing you take away from this conversation, it's humbleness. And the reason I'm saying that is I'm a fitness geek um, and I have looked at a lot of research and delved into what medical research looks like because I mentioned that I'm a very analytical and data-driven person. And what I found is that in medical research, unless you have a thousand studies saying the same thing, you would never make a definite statement. You would never say, this is like that. You would say it's very likely, or we have seen some evidence that this might be like that. And that's the humbleness that we need to take all the time. What this looks in practical term like is basically the test measure learn framework that Eric Ries described in his Lean Startup book. At a minimum, try to embrace that you don't know all the answers for good, that you need to constantly gain data points for your assumptions and that you need to, to iterate on some of these problems. So if I'm a, if I'm a small startup or if I'm a small company, um, I wouldn't, first of all, I wouldn't want to set out with um, uh, the naive idea that I can test everything or that I can transfer all the tests that are out there uh, into my situation. Instead, I should take on a mindset that says, okay, look, I have a couple of assumptions. Now, what data points can I gather for these assumptions? And what I actually do is I keep a so-called decision journal. So for whatever big decision I make, I write down what the decision is, why I think that is the right decisions, and what data points I have to believe that. Sometimes the data point is just a rationale. Sometimes it's, it's, it's an actual number. Right? And sometimes it's also writing down, I don't know why, I just think it's the right point. All of that is nice and fair. But then the important point is to come back later and see how those decisions played out. And that helps you to validate your assumptions, to train your guts, and to become better at gathering evidence and data points for, this, for the decisions you make. Now, that's interesting, training your gut. Um, I remember there was, uh, there always used to be this back and forth between the researchers and the creatives. And one of the things that I came up with as a creative, uh, for example, I worked at McDonald's for a long time and I would just go hang out at the restaurants and <laughs> that, that was awesome research. Now I'm going, I'm going to, um, this, uh, this experimentation and testing, uh, article that you sent me by Avinash Kaushik and it, Kaushik talks about three types of testing. He talks about the A-B testing. It's good for testing small variables, light orange versus dark orange on your buy now button. Great. That's optimization, pure and simple. It's not innovation. Uh, multivariate, 
you've got you've got a number of variables, a whole bunch of different animals playing together in the sandlot, and you try to draw correlations. And then Kaushik finishes off by talking about experiential testing, you know, testing people in their native environment. Now, do you believe that there's room for somebody with a startup to uh, check out people in their native environment? Do you think that that's possible? Oh, absolutely. And I think you should. I think as a startup, the biggest mistake that you can make is not regularly talking to your customers, but your potential customers. And I know that firsthand because I've been a mentor in the startup space for uh, four years now mm -hmm. um, at the German Accelerator, where I have a regular interaction and mentoring sessions with, with startups. And the clearest distinction that I see between those that are successful and those that are not is that those that are successful regularly ask and survey and observe their potential customers. And they ask for their opinions and how they like new things. So when we come back to the Avinash Kaushik article, I think the experiential testing is what everybody should do at a minimum, what most people like to disregard because it's sometimes it's, it's, it can be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. However, A-B testing, I think, is relatively realistic for most startups, but it depends a little bit on how much engagement you have with your product, right? So if you, for example, sell a hardware product that people use once a month, you are not in the same boat as somebody who has an online app that people use on a daily basis, which allows you to iterate and test much, much faster. Now, multivariate testing, I think, is something that in reality, only a few companies can really do. And we're talking about these high-trafficked, high-engagement companies that have statisticians and data science teams and the necessary traffic and knowledge to truly test something like that. Because I tell you what, as soon, you know, in, in statistics, as soon as you have more than one variable, things can go out the window very quickly. It is highly complex and need to run multiple tests. Well, it's like a phone answer. number, right? I mean, you can use the same 10, 10 numbers and come up with a billion combinations. I, I, and then, then what that opens you up to is people drawing their own conclusions and only hearing what they want to hear. Now, it's interesting because um, I'm just reading uh, an old classic, right? Rereading an old classic right now, Spin Selling, which is a salesman's book. And they talk about um, how the world was obsessed with uh, closing in sales, close, 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 ABC, always be closing. And what these people discovered was that the larger the sale, the you know, higher the dollar value, the less important being able to close was. Because if you tried to close too hard on somebody it's buying a $10,000 photocopier, uh, they would just throw you out of the office because they think you're there, that you're hassling them. But people didn't want to hear that. Now, I'm curious um, if you've had experience with People not wanting to hear that. If you come in and you pull a Steve Jobs and you go, you know, I believe that we should make the new computer grape color and orange color. And people going, no, it has to be about rams and, you know, rams and bits and bytes. And it can't be about orange. And boom, it's orange. Do you have experience with that where, you know, you have somebody walk in and go, we should try this and nobody wants to hear it? I have experience with that. But an even better example, which is one of my you know, most famous examples for, for uh, data of all times actually comes from a book that is called Everybody Lies. Seth Godin? And, uh, or is it's it not Ryan? Seth Godin. It's um, uh, Ryan, uh, yeah. Davidovitz, ah. uh, something. Uh, I, I look up the author. Um, but it, it, was, it, was, it really stuck with me because it's about the case of Facebook introducing the newsfeed. 
And when Facebook introduced the newsfeed, there was an outrage. And I'm, I'm talking about people being appalled, almost going on the streets and, and lighting sofas on fire or whatever. Um, <laughs> it's people Seth, were like, Seth Stevens Davidovitz. Yes, that's, that's uh, the set that, I, that I'm talking about. And that's exactly the book that I'm talking about. Fantastic book, by the way, about how um, deceiving data can, can be sometimes. And so what happened is that Mark Zuckerberg and his team knew perfectly well that the news feed resonated with people, that they were using it. But people were appalled and, and, and didn't like it, uh, at least publicly. But it's stuck and it made, it made Facebook or was part of what made Facebook what it is today. So that's a perfect example for where there's an outcry at first, but the data proves that there is something about this feature. Now, I want to come back to the notion that Facebook has the actual data and the knowledge and the manpower to, to validate that people actually like the newsfeed. That does not account for everybody out there. But it's a perfect example of where kind of the, the, um, the first impression is not what's truly happening. Mm -hmm. it, well, so yeah, there is misreading results and there's also the X factors which can play into it, you know, which can skew the results. Now, I, I, I'm going back to something I saw on LinkedIn today, something from Germany, ah. where it was a funny video and it was a gentleman with a little red rider uh, wagon, the type that the, the, the newspaper delivery boys used to use in the 1950s to carry their newspapers around. And he had this red rider wagon full of cell phones. And what he'd done was walked through Berlin and basically blew up Google Maps because <laughs> Google Maps would tell people where the traffic jams are. And because this guy had 50 million, like 50 cell phones in this little Red Rider wagon, Google Maps thought there were 50 cars on a bridge or at an intersection and they would guide people to different places. Now that is my long-winded way of saying as uh, Google can study more and more of us in our native environment, which we talked about, do you think that this whole argument is going to go away and by studying what people are doing naturally, if they naturally go left at a supermarket shelf to the orange bottle as opposed to the right to the purple bottle, that all this is going to go away as the system gets better at studying us in our native environment? Do you think its intuition is going to go out the window? I think not entirely. I think the further we go into the future, the better we'll be able to measure things just because of the nature of machine learning and, and um, the, the data that we capture because we give away more and more indication of what we're truly doing on mm -hmm. our cell phones, on our computers, on our wearables, that's not going to stop anywhere. Mm -hmm. So I think there will be a point where machines might actually better understand us than we understand ourselves. However, I don't know where that point is, right? I don't know if it's 50 years in the future, hundred years, a thousand years. I, my understanding of, of, of that is not good enough until then. I think we as marketers and maybe, you know, everybody, we need to realize that there is a, that there is a yin and yang between intuition and, test, and testing and data, right? You cannot completely throw intuition out the window. You cannot completely throw numbers out of the window. Like let's come back to a healthy middle ground and accept and realize that both can be very helpful, especially when rationale is involved. That's not, completely forget about just good old reasoning. Like, that, mm -hmm. does it make sense, right? I see, mm -hmm. I think, you know, like uh, something funny that I see is that the people 
come up with all sorts of weird arguments and just look at the numbers and completely forget if this actually makes sense or if this looks good, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then two, that marketing is still art, right? Like there's something really nice about that. I think the, the idea that marketing is all numbers uh, and, and it can perfectly test sad. everything. That's a it sad, is a that's sad, a sad yeah, thing. it's a sad vision. Like I don't want that. I love, I love that there is an art involved and that there's a sort of, that there's creativity involved and good ideas, right? So that's where I land. I like that. That's a great place to sign off. Now, if, I, uh, if I'm running a startup and I'm listening to this podcast, I, uh, I'm going to link, obviously, Everybody Lies uh, in, this, uh, in the write-up on this blog post that we do with the podcast. But are there any other books that, that, or any other articles that you would recommend that people check out uh, that we can link on this, on this podcast? Yeah, certainly Eric Ries, uh, The Lean Startup. I know it's a classic, mm -hmm. um, but I think it, it, it really comes back to that healthy notion of testing, but not over-testing and overthinking. Um, and then um, I like uh, Peter Thiel's Zero to One in combination to that as well, because I think it makes some of the uh, good points that we alluded to in terms of innovating um, as opposed to optimizing. He's, he's really good at, uh, at, at breaking that down. Awesome. Now I want to get a hold of you because I don't want to read the books. I just want your brain. Uh, how do I best get a hold of you on LinkedIn? Yes, uh, LinkedIn is a great place to follow me. Also, Twitter. I'm very active there. What's and your handle? I, What's your handle on my, Twitter? It's at Kevin underscore Indig. I N D I G. Yeah. And then you can find me on Kevin-Indig.com. I blog regularly and 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 uh, uh, very long form. So uh, would love to to hear your thoughts on that. Excellent. Well, you know what? This has been, this has been a terrific, terrific little conversation. Uh, this is an endlessly fascinating subject. And I think to, to conclude it, I, I just want to go back to something you just mentioned. What makes me stick with marketing and advertising is that people are weird. And they always seem to find new ways to be weird in different directions. And so just when we think we've got them nailed and we've got them buttoned down, it's like that scene in the science fiction movie where the scientist goes, no, they weren't supposed to do that. And they do. People, and there comes Donald Trump and we all vote for Donald Trump. And you go, where did that come from? Even Donald Trump didn't expect that. So I love that people are endlessly weird and endlessly surprise us, but that we can actually give ourselves a more stable position and a better night's sleep by testing more effectively in the ways that you talked about. Yes, yes. We never have the answer, right? That's, we'll never that's have what the I answer. hold in front as long of as we realize, As long as we realize we will never have the answer, but we might have a better answer. Exactly. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you too. You've been listening to Didn't See It Coming, the show about brands that learn from the past, look to the future, and profit today. I'm your host, Mark Stoiber. If you'd like to talk about brands, drop me a line. I'd love to hear your ideas. So that was easy, wasn't it? Yeah, it was awesome, man. I loved it. It was like a good conversation that yeah. you know, uh, was not, not staged or anything like that. It was great.